This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. I'm particularly grateful on this campus for how we are connected. This is a campus that talks a lot about it being uh, a really strong community, uh, a community of horned frogs who support one another, a community of horned frogs who stand up for one another. That is the voice of TCU's minister to the university since 2004, Angela Kaufman. Prior to becoming a minister, Angela was a student at TCU from 1991 to 1995. She will talk about her decision to come to TCU, moving away to Chicago, and what it's been like being back at TCU for the last 14 years. Well, we are very thankful to be joined by Reverend Angela Kaufman. She's been Reverend at the university since 2004, which a very special year. That was my freshman year, so I feel like I grew up with you. That's a good thing. I'm grateful for that. And most know you as Reverend Kaufman, but you were also a student as well um, here from 91 to 95. So what made you decide to come to TCU as a student first? Mm, That's a good question. Well, TCU had always been a known quantity. Uh, I grew up in uh, Disciples of Christ Church over in Richardson, Texas, called Community Christian Church. And like a lot of Disciples Churches, you would walk down the hallway, say in between Sunday school and church, and you would see on the on the felt board wall, you would see all these posters for colleges, mm-hmm. all these Disciples of Christ related schools. There are 14 of them currently. And the biggest one, right in the center line of sight for most of the younger people, would be the one that said Texas Christian University. Uh-huh. And so you just, TCU is beloved for many reasons, and TCU is rightly so everybody's first choice for a lot of reasons. But for a lot of Disciples students, myself included, um, you just saw that sign, and not, and not just seeing that sign, but you heard the stories. You heard the stories from church members who had who were alums. Uh, you heard the story from the counselors at church camp. And so TCU had always been on the radar. However, like a lot of kids that grew up in Texas, um, maybe not a lot, but some, I really wanted to leave Texas. Like, I think I'm going to get some, I hope I don't get any hate mail for that, saying that out loud, but I had really wanted to see a little bit of the rest of the country, right, and a little bit of the rest of the world. And so I had told my parents that I would be uh, leaving Texas, no matter how much I love TCU, that um, I was going to look elsewhere. And so I did look elsewhere. But then I came to the campus as a prospective student, not as a high school student or junior high student or a camper. But I came to the campus and I fell in love with it. And I didn't just fall in love with it because it was beautiful or people were nice, although all those things are true. I don't know if that's true in your story as well. But I I fell in love with what was possible here. And not just possible for me, but possible for a lot of other students. And so the idea of leaving Texas became less important than the idea of finding a place that could really feel like home. And so sometimes you don't need to go too far. So I came from Richardson, Texas, just right over to Fort Worth. Is it the Wizard of Oz that says there's no place like home? Yeah, it is a lot like the Wizard of Oz. It says there's no place like home. And um, I always tease my parents because right after I came to TCU, um, my dad took a job taking him out of Richardson down to Houston. And I always tease them and say, you just didn't want me coming home for free laundry. Um, And so they helped it be, I guess, a little bit farther from home. Uh, But sometimes you don't need to go too far uh, to see new things. 
And so you finally come to TCU, um, wanting to experience all the things you thought you were going to experience on your visit. Um, what was your experience like? What kind of activities were you involved in? Um, I had a pretty diverse student experience outside the classroom and honestly in the classroom too and that's one of the things that TCU talks about they talk about um, how amazing life can be both in the classroom and beyond Um, I have to say first that I had the best college roommates and um, maybe other people are listening are going to say no I had the best college roommate well good we can all have the best college roommates but I was really fortunate that right away at orientation, I connected with uh, somebody who would become a great college roommate and friend and still is today across the miles. She's in Arizona and made a few other friends along the way as well. And that, that community, those people, you know, they made a huge difference. I believe that it only takes one person to change another person's life. Right. And I think that's true for college students as well. It just takes one friend, one person reaching out to you a handful of people to become your tribe, your people. And so I found my my tribe, so to speak, really early on. Um, in addition to that, I got involved with a really wonderful co-ed service fraternity called Alpha Phi Omega. And back then, it was a group of about 100, 150 students that really had a passion for community service. And we were out at multiple service sites every week, but also had a passion to do that together. And so we were rowdy and imperfect and funny and sometimes irreverent, but always purposeful. And so being involved in that, being involved in Disciples Campus Ministries, being involved in what now is religious and spiritual life, but what was then university ministries. I think you came in when it was still called that. Mm -hmm. Um, Those places were... Wonderful places to plug in. Um, I was a student leader with my former predecessor, Reverend John Butler, and that was just an invaluable experience. And so I felt like I was really lucky to get plugged in all over campus. Uh, I'll also say, though, that I was one of those students that got the opportunity uh, to work two or three jobs all through college. And I think that um, I always want to be mindful of the students that are here working one job, two job three jobs, you know, because in my case, while I was really fortunate to come here, thanks to church-related aid through the Disciples and through TCU, um, I paid for the rest of it myself uh, with a little bit of help from family. And so we have students all over campus doing the same thing. And so I was really fortunate to work in the campus bookstore, and I give a shout out to them, to the Student Center, that's now the Student Union, uh, University Union, um, to work in the Religion Department and the Philosophy Department. And I think sometimes the places where we work on campus can be just as transformative as our student groups and as our residence halls and as our friends. And you say that word opportunity to work, and that's a word that maybe not many students would have at the time, thinking, you know, they have to add more obligations to outside the classroom. But did you find that working really enhanced um, what you may not have experienced otherwise? Yeah, that's a great, that's a wonderful question. Um, it's interesting because I said opportunity, and you probably saw the, the raise in my eyebrow, because I, I had no other choice. Having to work was just, it's what I'd done in high school, it's what I'd done even in the tail end of junior high, and, and working those jobs was just going to um, be what made this possible. But the relationships that I made there, the mentors that I found, um, I heard somebody say to me the other day on campus that most people have five people 
that they can look back at towards the end of life and say, these five people um, hugely changed my life or hugely you know, were big mentors in my life. Or um, I feel like most of those I met here at TCU and a lot of them were meeting through faculty who I worked for or uh, places I worked for on campus. So I think working on campus is or working anywhere is great, even whether you have to or not, because it's just going to open you up to more opportunity. And academically, you majored in religion and philosophy, which makes sense since you're the reverend of the university. Did you come to TCU knowing you wanted to be a minister? And what kind of led you to that eventual calling? Mm, Okay. Uh, So there's a phrase in my religious tradition, maybe in, in our religious tradition for others, uh, talks about those of us who kind of cut their teeth on the back of a pew, um, as if somehow we're toddlers literally um, gnawing on the pew. Um, if I ever did that, I think I would have uh, been corrected quickly by my parents and the pastor that you don't literally do that, but I did. I, I cut my teeth on the pew, so to speak, because for our family, you weren't just in church on Sunday. Uh, you were in church Sundays and Wednesdays and Saturday mornings and Tuesday nights. Um, for us, life and life with the church, it was always connected. And so I was at that wonderful congregation over in Richardson, and it became a second home for me. And while I was there, you were talking about calling to ministry. Um, not all ministry includes people who are ordained serving as chaplains or or as pastors. And so I had the real privilege to watch my dad, uh, Bill Kaufman, to watch my dad and others show me what ministry looked like in lots of different ways. So my dad um, was never a pastor, but he felt like as a kid looking up at him uh, in his tall frame, he had just about every job you could have at that church. He was an elder and a deacon and a Sunday school teacher. He was uh, making sure the punch was out sometimes, I feel like, after church for punch and cookies. Um, He was also the person up there with the property work group on Saturday morning, uh, patching the roof or fixing the toilet or making sure the AC worked. And so... By the time I was 12, um, growing up around that, I, I had walked into my, my parents after dinner one night and just said, um, I think God's telling me I want to be a pastor. Um, and honestly, I don't know how my parents listened to their 12-year-old <laughs> too seriously, and not because 12-year-olds don't need to be listened to, but because usually parents know that there's a lot that lies ahead. But I was 12 years old when I said that... Um, I felt that call into ministry, and I was really fortunate that I had and still have a church and a family that was really supportive. And so even though that path, um, that path went back and forth a bit in high school, I think all high school students might confess to that. You know, I think I said, oh, never mind, I want to be a lawyer who works for the church, or no, I want to, I want to be a writer who writes about ministry. Um, by the time I came here to TCU in my first semester, um, that that still small voice I had had that said, God's calling you into ministry, um, became a very loud voice. And so it was harder to... Angela's previously told desire to see different parts of the world were finally realized upon graduation when she went to graduate school and later had her first full-time job in campus ministry in Chicago. You know, my experience in Chicago was absolutely phenomenal. And um, I say that not because it was perfect or because it was easy, because nothing in life is, and I never want prospective college students or seminarians or graduate students or people starting their first job to think things are supposed to be perfect. I always tell my boys life doesn't have to be perfect to be good. 
Um, but I had just an absolutely phenomenal experience there. I was accepted to and attended a place called the University of Chicago and their divinity school and was really fortunate to get connected to a place called the Disciples Divinity House there, which is a place for residents studying religion and studying ministry. It's connected to the disciples. And it was just a great growing um, opportunity. I was going to say a great, a great growing ground, but a great place to be, um, to be nurtured and to be challenged. And definitely in graduate school, it was a place where there was really rigorous academic inquiry and scholarship, and it didn't exist in a vacuum, but that really rigorous academic critical inquiry existed because we believe that it makes you a better pastor, it makes you a better chaplain, it makes you a better uh, person serving the common good, person, a better person out um, in the public square. And so I had a great experience at University of Chicago and at Disciples Divinity House. And then um, I thought I was going to begin a PhD and uh, prepare myself for a life in the classroom and a life in chaplaincy. Uh, but I always say, don't be too set in your plans because God will have a laugh at you. That's a cliche we hear a lot. And so I ended up being um, asked to and somewhat recruited to go work at DePaul University, which is the largest Catholic uh, university or second largest, uh, I think maybe these days, second uh, largest Catholic university in the country uh, with their very large chaplaincy and campus ministry team. And it was a place where my sense of call to college chaplaincy and my sense of call to working with young adults, uh, my sense of call to working in higher education, uh, it was refined and it was challenged. Uh, and so I had a great experience up there. Angela was in Chicago for almost 10 years when she had the still small voice inside of her lead her back to TCU. Mm. Um, I'll make a joke that it's a... Uh, it was really hard to leave Chicago. The joke is because I told a friend once there that I said, I can't leave Chicago until the Cubs win the World Series. Um, and if you, you know anything about baseball and you know anything about the Cubs, uh, it took a lot longer for that to happen than I ended up staying. Um, I would say this. You know, I think when we talk about why people leave one calling in ministry for another or one job for another, you know, sometimes we think it's because there was something wrong with where we came from. And I was really fortunate to say that... Um, there was, I was having an absolutely great experience in ministry, and I um, really felt that Chicago was my second home becoming my first home. Chicago is often called the second city, so to speak. And so it really was home for me, and still is, my other home in a lot of ways. But it wasn't that there was anything wrong or challenging there. I just kept hearing this, that still small voice, is what Parker Palmer, the author, calls it. He says there's a still small voice if you quiet yourself just enough and you listen to it. And it was the same voice that had helped, uh, helped me discern a call into ministry. And it was that voice that was saying, you know what, this is great, but this is not where you need to be. And so I was discerning what that might look like. And quite honestly, Texas was not on the list because that same wanderlust that I had as a 17-year-old said that, okay, where's next? You know, someplace new, someplace different. Um, but the lesson I learned uh, was that sometimes going back or going to a place you already know is new. And so when the position opened up here at TCU, when my predecessor, John Butler, announced his retirement, uh, I began discerning that, but I, I kept on putting it aside and saying, no, no, 
not not there. I, you know, I'm sure God is calling me elsewhere. I'm sure I'm supposed to be going elsewhere, surely. And, and so I went through a really wonderful interview process um, with a lot of other very talented candidates, and it was a process that took the university probably about six to nine months is what mm-hmm. it felt like, Maybe about six months. And during that time, I kept saying, surely God's going to clarify this for me. <laughs> you know. And the reality is God did clarify it for me, <laughs> just not in the way I was expecting. Um, I kept going through the process again and again, step by step, um, and realizing that I was being given both the opportunity and the call to come back and serve the very place that formed me. Mm-hmm. I mean, how beautiful is that? And so we've seen you since you've come back at a lot of different types of events. Obviously, we see you at, at big athletic events, giving the invocation beforehand and, and other things like that. So how would you describe your day-to-day role? I would say this about the big you know, public events, like you just mentioned, these really wonderful football games, uh, where we come together as a community uh, to support not just our team, you know, our frogs, go frogs, but to support one another. Um, whether it's the football games or a luncheon or whether it's commencement or convocation, I'm always really humbled by the opportunities I have to be with our community when they're mountaintop moments. It's kind of how I think of a football game sometimes or commencement, of course, for our graduates or convocation at the beginning of the year um, or the, the, the pinning ceremony, say, for our, our wonderful nursing school or white coat ceremony for them or something like that. Those are always these wonderful mountaintop moments. But that is such a small portion of what ministry really is and what life really is like here, I think, for for myself as a chaplain, as a university chaplain, but also for our other chaplains and campus ministers. Um, Life is really in ministry about, you know, the mountaintops of greatness and wonder and awe, um, but they're also about the valleys, and they're about when people are having a really difficult time, having a really bad day, dealing with really difficult, painful grief, living with trauma, responding to violence. Um, And so I feel that ministry on a typical day here is about the, the really humbling opportunity to be with people in their greatest mountaintops, right? Their deepest, most difficult valleys. And then quite honestly, the other 90% is you're with people in the ordinary days of life, right? The ordinary days of coming to and, co- and going fro, you know. Um, and so that's what it feels like. Uh, what that usually looks like practically is that it's a lot of time in pastoral and spiritual care mm-hmm. work. Uh, I get the privilege to facilitate a couple of small groups on campus uh, with social workers or counselors or things like that. Uh, we make rounds, myself and the other chaplaincy team, we make rounds on campus. Uh, we do individual pastoral and spiritual care sessions. We speak in classes. We um, just to pick on a typical day last night, I had the privilege of sitting with a group of social work students and others uh, until late into the night talking about the role of religion and faith uh, as it intersects with social work and social justice. And I really feel like I learned more from them uh, in those three hours than they would have ever learned from me. We learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I think chaplaincy looks like. And you talked about your upbringing in Disciples of Christ, but the religious life at TCU offers so many. It's not just one um, religion or one background. Talk about the diversity and all the different ways that you um, religious life is set up to reach such the diverse population. Well, one of the things that um, 
I love about my own life, and I think it relates to TCU, is uh, I always say I'm kind of a religious mutt, uh, because even though I'm a fourth-generation disciple, uh, I grew up with a mom who was Catholic and grandparents who were Jewish, and so I feel like that was a great uh, breeding ground, so to speak, for me to understand that um, we're better as a people. We're better as people of faith when we will honor the fact that our differences um, help us come together. They're not designed to break us apart, right? And so here at TCU, we have, and I think folks know this, we have students from all different walks of life, all traditions, all different kinds of religious backgrounds. This year we have almost uh, 60 different religious traditions and denominations represented. You know, And so our responsibility as chaplains, my responsibility as the minister to the university is to make sure that every single student can have a really robust life of faith, that they can find places where they can worship, they can find communities to feed them, uh, and that we remove any stumbling blocks that are in the way, whether it's okay, you want to practice um, your faith tradition and there's not a group here. Well, how do we get you to one in the community? Oh, wait, you don't have a car. How do, we, how do we move those stumbling blocks out of the way? And not just stumbling blocks, but actually create a map where they, they can nurture their faith life in a way that feeds them. Um, in addition to that, we're really fortunate that in our office and on this campus, we've always had some kind of interfaith community group of student leaders from across faith traditions that come together to do this work with us. Um, it would be a sad place if it was only chaplains and faculty and staff who were talking about this. I'm always really awestruck and grateful that we've always had students that are committed uh, to this idea that we're better together. And so we have a student group on campus called Better Together, and it the name is self-explanatory. Uh, they're part of the National uh, Interfaith Youth Corps group, and they exist alongside us, and they work alongside us and teach us every day about what it looks like to connect people across faith traditions, which I think is critically important right now in our world because we're spending too much time uh, talking about things that divide us. You know, we're spending too much time talking um, uh, at people and against people rather than trying to find something that we have in common. And over the, your 14 years as uh, reverend and university minister, I'm sure you've seen the students' views on religion itself change. So how do you think has it changed since 2004, and how do you find ways to need to adapt to reach all the different uh, students on campus with their different viewpoints? I think the changes that we see on this campus uh, in many ways parallel the changes that we're seeing in our country, right? And that's true politically, religiously, culturally, and so on. And so out in our country and here on this campus, we have definitely, we have more people who say that they're not religiously affiliated. Right? So that's definitely a change that we've had. Uh, the Pew uh, Forum on Religion, the Pew Study Project, which I'd highly recommend if anybody's interested in looking at American Christianity. Their recent survey uh, article was, I think, called Rise of the Nuns, where it talks about uh, the increasing of the nuns. Not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S, those who claim no religious affiliation. And so one of the things we're really committed to is reminding people that, first off, chaplaincy doesn't exist only for people who are religious, Chaplains are here to serve the whole campus. Um, we all come from a different faith tradition as chaplains, but we all recognize just like hospital chaplains or military chaplains that we're here to serve all. And we do that because we believe every single person on this campus has a story and that every story matters. 
And, and so what I say to those students is like, well, you might not claim a religious tradition or have one that you identify with, but it doesn't mean you don't have a story. It doesn't mean you don't have a spiritual life. So tell me about what you believe. That's what we said last night. Tell me about what's important to you and why. And how does that call you to make a difference in this world? And, and so that's something that we've definitely spent more time on. And we have a program in our office called This I Believe, which is a storytelling program that has national roots going back to the 1950s uh, with Edward R. Murrow, who started the program, ironically, here as we sit on, on a radio show uh, is where I started it. And so we ask students to do a lot of storytelling with us. So regardless of how they identify religiously, they know who they are and what they believe and how that fits in with whatever tradition may have may raise them. Um, the other part of that, though, is that I think there's more distractions in the world today than maybe in 2004, and definitely more than 1991, if I jump all the way back to then. And by distractions, I'm talking about the very things that I admit distract me. It's not just college students. Um, we have access to more information in the world now. It's just humbling uh, how quickly I can take out an iPhone or an iPad or um, a Surface Pro or whatever it may be, and I can, I can look up something and explain to um, my older son the effects of erosion or something like that in, in two seconds. But it means that there's always this temptation to be distracted, right? And there's so much coming at us, and some of it is valuable, but a lot of it is not. And so I think the role of religion and of faith communities, uh, particularly for college students, but really for all of us, is to help us make space for that still small voice that I was talking about earlier, to listen to your own voice, to listen for the voice of God um, in, in the world and um, within yourself. And that means that while sometimes that can be helped through technology and social media, that sometimes we need to, we need to put those things down and just sit and be. And that's why that's what I think is one of the things that we're working on so much more these days than we have in the past. And so when we will do a meditation group or a prayer group or a weekend retreat, um, and not just us, but our campus ministers as well, uh, we will discern, is this a moment where people's iPhones and iPads are going to help them tell the story? Back to the first part, being storytellers. Like, go ahead and Instagram that. Like, go ahead and, and put that photo up there from our prayer group. Or is it a moment where we're like, hey, drop those in a basket on your way in and be with us for 30 minutes without your technology? Mm. You know, grown-ups included. And Thanksgiving is coming up this week. And on the TCU campus, how does the university, you think, promote thankfulness? And what are some of the things personally and professionally that you're thankful for? Thanksgiving uh, is one of my favorite times of year. And I, I will joke that right now, I'm, I feel like that's in the minority. And I say that because I have two small children in the house and, and there and both on this campus. Uh, Halloween gets a lot of attention, uh, costumes and dress up and candy and all that. And of course, Christmas gets a lot of attention uh, for those of us in the Christian community and even in our country as a, as a whole. And so Thanksgiving sometimes gets pushed and, and shoved kind of in the middle, but Thanksgiving is particularly important to me because gratitude is particularly important to me. And um, gratitude to me, and others have said this as well before, gratitude is both a feeling you know, that we have in our heart, but it's also an ethic or an action, right? So um, I wake up every day and hope that 
I'm attentive enough to the world and to life and to what you and I are doing right here that I will be stopped in my tracks at some point with a small moment of gratitude, right? And some people do that through a gratitude journal. Some people through that, do that through a gratitude post. I've seen that on social media. Um, I'm not good at either of those. I just like to say uh, to myself and to our family at night and to those of us on our team, where can we find a small moment of gratitude? And so on this campus, uh, I think we have so much to be grateful for. And when I say that, it doesn't mean we don't have so much to also do, you know, work to do ahead at the same time. But I'm particularly grateful on this campus for how we are connected. Right? This is a campus that talks a lot about it being uh, a really strong community, uh, a community of horned frogs who support one another, a community of horned frogs who stand up for one another. Um, I'm really grateful for how we are a community and we are connected not because everybody's connected or everybody uh, knows everybody. We are truly too big for that sometimes. But because we're, we always seem to be able to be connected uh, at the big moments in the small. And what I mean by that is you look out in the football stadium or you look out uh, at the beginning of the year at the Chancellor's Assembly or another event and you see everybody out there and this sense of shared connection, whether they know one another or not. Um, and so we come together and we're connected at these really great moments. But quite honestly, I'm always humbled by the fact that we come together and are connected when things are really difficult. So if there's a loss on campus um, or we're all grieving, you know, we had a vigil recently on campus and I was humbled and blown away by the fact that over a thousand students came out to support one another. Um, and so we're connected at the times that it matters. And that's one of the things I think we ought to be really grateful for. Since you said that you're so thankful for Thanksgiving, what does the Reverend Kaufman house look like on Thanksgiving? It is uh, hopefully a feast uh, for the stomach and a feast for the heart. <laughs> it has um, our house is every Thanksgiving. It is messy and it is loud. Uh, I have a really wonderful spouse and best friend named Jack. And uh, we um, of the many things that we've introduced to one another over the years of marriage, he introduced me to Cajun fried turkey. Huh. Yeah. And it's a secret recipe that I wasn't allowed to see until we got married. Um, it's not shared with anybody else. It was given to him by a very dear, dear friend who shared it only with him um, right, not too long before he passed away. And, and so I have learned the art, uh, even though I'm in a supporting role, but I've learned the art of a deep fried uh, Cajun spiced turkey. And, and so that's what the house looks like with those beautiful smells of food um, abounding and, um, and and noise everywhere and family coming in from out of town and people running around. Uh, and I think that we do on that day, in fact, I know we do on that day something that really we do every day at dinner time or at a breakfast. Uh, we're like most American families. We don't sit around, unfortunately, for dinner. We don't get together for dinner every night of the week. But when we do, uh, I always say, share one thing that you're grateful for. And we go around the table and share one thing that you're grateful for or say one thing that's the high of the day. Or we might say, tell me one thing that fills your bucket. And, and so that's what Thanksgiving looks like for us on a very magnified uh, level. And I hope that others, no matter what their traditions or how they celebrate that week, that day, um, find a way to give thanks and to be grateful. Um, not many people probably know that it was, I think, Abraham Lincoln that designated 
you know, that day and that, that holiday. But it was done right during the Civil War, you know, a time that we were, as a country, pretty divided and um, struggling with how to be connected as a country and even connected across families around some very difficult issues and issues of justice. And so it's this idea of, man, Thanksgiving at its best ought to be a time where we figure out how to come together. Um, not and, and somehow not in spite of our differences, but because of them. And so, and hopefully do that with some, some really good food too. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for everything you've given to this university for not only the last 14 years, but th- the last 27 years. Well, thank you for that. And thank, thank you in this community very much for the opportunity. Every day is, is truly a gift. Thank you to KTCU and co-manager Jeff Craig for their editing of this episode. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to share your story of your life since graduation, please contact us on social media or leave us a comment on our SoundCloud channel. We look forward to sharing the next story of how horned frogs are changing the world.